Hello, book lovers. I'm Phil Svitek, joined alongside yet again, Marissa Serafini. It is our monthly book club discussion. Today, we are diving deep into Ursula K. Le Guin's The Word for World is Forest. Now, we're going to talk about the book, the plot, so we're going to get into spoiler territory territory fairly soon, but we'll also give you some context about her life. We'll go into themes of the book and all of that. And I would like to also encourage you to check out past uh, book discussions we've done. We've done almost a year's worth. You know, we do one a month. So we're excited to approach the one year anniversary and we'll tell you what books we're going to be reading in the future as well. But of course, you're welcome to comment with any suggestions you would you know, recommend to us. And, you know, we want this to be a community. But without further ado, let's uh, just kind of dive into it, starting with overall impressions by you, Marissa. Uh, yeah, when you suggested this book, I had never heard of the author and then, you know, going a little bit into her history, which we'll get into, um, you realized that it was science fiction and all that. So I was like, all right, sign me up. And and then reading this, um, I thought it was really interesting because I think it was well crafted in the way of seeing the viewpoint of other different characters and how they see each other and how they think about each other and how they describe each other. And you can tell like the strong opinions from one to another. And so I always thought that's an interesting viewpoint when you're trying to learn about people and character and books and stories and worlds and stuff like that. And then um, overall, I, I enjoyed the the overall um, theme of just like humanity, like what defines us as humans, what defines us as just people living amongst each other and um, how we see each other and just like the, the humanity aspect of a story makes us right and wrong and all that. And I think there, there are a lot of those messages and undertones in, in this book. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, I'm very much um, in this kick of end of the world type of stories and fantasy um, for my own sort of storytelling research. Um. And because of that, uh, you know, I saw this book as one, by the way, are you there? Did you hear me? I kind of cut out there a little bit. Um, okay. Is that what mine part did you, or yours? <laughs> I have no clue. What part did you last hear? Uh, like the first five seconds of your thing. All right. Yeah, I heard mine, and then that was it. <laughs> okay, so I'll just retake it. Five minutes in. Yeah, so for me, uh, Ursula is an author that I very much ha have heard about, respected, and I've read a few of her short stories, and she has a very different style in each of the stories, right? And for me, I was very much in this sort of end-of-the-world um, crave of reading simply because uh, for my own like research purposes of stories that I'm trying to work on. So th this was kind of top of the list and, and it was, it's a very short book. It's less than 200 pages. I mean, it, it's a novella really. And so that, that, that kind of spawned it. And um, yeah, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, and I knew part of it was it had been heavily compared to Avatar. This was very much written way before Avatar was even a thing by James Cameron. So yeah, I just kind of wanted to compare and contrast in that way. And you know, overall, it's a simple story. Um, and, but I think it 
it goes pretty deep on some of that stuff overall. So yeah, that's kind of for me, but, but I do want, and part of it, you know, why I chose, because in theory, it was a book that I could have read separately from us reading um, together, but I wanted, I know we had made a effort to, um, to have more women um, authors highlighted. And for me, like what better person than like, you know, this is an American novelist who has done so much, but I don't think is uh, as, as widely regarded like by authors. Yes. But in, in the grander world, for example, so she, she wrote the left hand of darkness in 1969. And for this, she won the Hugo and Nebula awards for best novel, becoming the first woman to do so. Right. So that's, that's an incredible accomplishment. And, you know, for almost like 50 years, she was really known as the voice of science fiction. And yet, not you know so she's had success but it's not part of the mainstream culture um and you know there's been a series of movies made about her work called the earth sea series um which is much more fantastical than science fiction um but yeah you know so she's done a lot and um you know this book in particular people have identified it as part of the hanish universe which is um you don't what, what I like about it is you don't really need to know all this like if you do you can kind of explore more aspects of this lore and history but this very much works as a standalone like you get the sense that there's something greater beyond what's happening in this story and if you want to explore that you can but you don't need to as well so yeah and I, I loved how you brought up the her accomplishments and stuff because uh, again like I said at the beginning shows like I have never heard of her and I think it's really sad because you no know, I'm going back into her repertoire it's like she's written a lot and she's won a lot of awards so like shame on me for not knowing but also her stuff is you know 60s 70s and to be fair that is before our generation um and I think it's really unfortunate that like that those accomplished accomplishments aren't as well acknowledged now a days. And uh, we, we should, you know, bring light to that again. And people need to know that just because we're not aware of her now, that her her writing is still relevant years later, decades later and X amount of wars later, um, because they're definitely, you know, military militaristic undertones to the story as well and I, and I think that's what keeps her writing relevant because there are a lot of universal themes today that we can still recognize yeah and and you know with all due respect to like philip k dick you know i mean how many times does that guy get adapted in terms of movies right and so, so he's um you know a contemporary of hers and things like that so yeah um it is really a shame that it does feel like she's getting pushed down um unrightly and, you know, one of the things that I do appreciate about her, her writing style is very simplistic um, and very direct. Um, and I also love, as you made mention, like there's the militarism aspect of it. Um, she's very much a feminist, um, has studied Carl Jung. Uh, one of my favorites, Taoism, you know, all that kind of seeps into her writing in one way, shape or form, uh, which I heavily appreciate. And you know, speaking of this book in particular, um, actually, real quick, I want to highlight some authors um, that have outright said they've been wildly influenced by her writing. So Salman Rushdie, 
who we know because mm-hmm. we've read him. <laughs> yes. uh, David Mitchell, uh, Neil Gaiman. I mean, talk about like sci-fi today and fantasy. Yeah, we, lo- you know. we still love him. Yes. Um, and uh, Leon Banks. So those are among um, those who, you know, look at her as just phenomenal uh, inspiration. So, um, and what I appreciate about her work, and, you know, maybe this is a good entry point, um, her use of nonviolence as being a thing, right? Um, that's that's core component to it. And it grapples with, you know, is violence justified or not? And, um, you know, so I guess let's talk about that because very early on, you, you know, um, these creatures as they're uh, referred to as a pejorative, um, you know, they're a nonviolent folk, but then they take up violence. So, and that's the inciting incident. All right. And it's also like the the whole idea of every action has an opposite or equal reaction, you know, and they took up violence because something else happened because Davison um, did such a heinous crime of, you know, rape and killing so, like, one event happened in another event, which led to a violent event afterwards. So, one violent and another violent. And it, it, and I, I, I gotta admit, like, Dave Davidson, I mean, he, what, what a jerk. I mean, I could say more bad things about him, but just his viewpoint of these creatures, um, you, you can already tell he has this false sense of superiority over these guys and um he he looks down upon them he's condescending he calls them names he just because of their small stature and kind like features basically he he thinks of them inferior and um that just you you start with the discrimination and prejudice in there and it just kind of snowballs and and into his behaviors and how he treats them how he talks about them and how he acts around them and so it, it kind of starts at the top with him and which leads to all these following events afterwards that it, it, it increases to like more and more violence that I don't think anyone was really expecting. Yeah. And it's also what was unexpected for me is we started off with him as not our protagonist, but we're following like the first chapter is from his point of view. And I was like, oh, this is a this is a little different. <laughs> Because right. I don't think I'm, you know, even just right away, I was like, I don't think I'm supposed to like him whatsoever. Like, he seems pretty right. heinous. And then it became evident of like, yeah, no, he's a heinous dude. Yeah, he, he's a he's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and and well, and that's the the interesting thing is because I think had Le Guin um, written or started the book with a different character, I think it might have been easier to get into. But I think our feelings might have been different. Had we start like a with um, uh, uh, Lubyov or or Selver or you know someone who with the kinder um, viewpoint of the world and the people, it might have been easier to get into, and then we could see the the complete contrast with Davison. Um, but because she started with such a, an angry tone, it, it really you can understand where the violence already started because we were. We started at such a high level of hatred, um, and then it just kind of boils from there. Yeah, and I think, interestingly enough, like, with obviously the benefit of hindsight looking at it, um, I I think because we as the reader have such a sort of visceral reaction to this guy, I mean, you know, there's a bunch of women that are carted off to this planet, 
and all he cares about in the midst of all of his duties is like i need to get laid um mm-hmm. and that's putting it very like gently because he's certainly not talking in those terms but th- by the end of the book the whole idea is um that even though you know in any in any other story this would be like a huge victory right like um they've essentially defeated the humans so to speak right except you know silver does not see it in that way it's a very bittersweet ending because he knows now the genie's out of the bottle there the the idea of killing people has now been introduced to you know his people and it cannot be undone and so it's interesting to kind of reflect upon that given that the first chapter kind of evokes that hatred within us as the reader of like wow i hate this person and so it it's driving us towards that same sort of reaction of of all of it you know and 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 you can't put it back in which i think is fascinating right it's like letting the the cans out of the worm in that sense but it's also when we read about you know these the colonists um their actions towards the, these nice, uh, I'm going to butcher the Athsheans. <laughs> um, a lot of hard pronunciations yeah, in this book. Yeah, it was like a, a lot of hard consonants against each other. Um, the the original um, colonists there, uh, to, to see them, um, their, their description that, you know, they're nonviolent, that they dream together, they work together, you know, and like they have a shared visions in that sense, like they work as a community. And because they have like such an open communicative relationship with each other, that's, that's how they can get things done because they're, they're open to collaborate and work with each other. And then when we have another community that doesn't do that um, and kind of exploits that against them, um, they're like, uh, I, I feel like the colonists are the current colonists, um, the humans, basically. Um, they work individually because they don't work together. They work individually. They stand alone. They they work on their own accord. And there's a lot of disconnect there. And everyone has their own motivations. And, and like Davison, he worked on his own and was violent. So like, had they worked together, there might not have been as much violence, um, you know, because when yeah. you work as a whole, you, you're more likely to get something done successfully compared to working alone. Yeah, and I think that's a key distinction because it's not like Davidson, not even within this realm, represents the viewpoint of the humans, you know. Um, I'm going to call him Raj. Raj is the anthropologist who, you know, appreciates them and studies them and and even by the end, um, once the humans, especially HQ, have kind of been defeated, they're very much like, Davidson, what the hell are you doing? You're going to get us all killed. Don't stop. Like, just don't do whatever you're doing. Just stop. Whatever you're thinking, mm-hmm. don't. Uh, and so, yeah, it's very much, you know, in that sort of way of, you know, chickens with their heads cut off going every which way and not having a collective and and that's when you talk about like the idea of Taoism and, and stuff like that um very much i love the the idea of dream time versus world time and the problem with humans was well they even go to sleep and they don't even they need to like sleep to be in dream time mm-hmm. and even then they suck at it you know yeah and that's just 
That's unfortunate. David thought that you saw that as a moment of weakness. That was like that was just them doing what their natural innate abilities do. Because you know, Davidson even questioned that. They're like, is it is it innate to call them human because they don't act like us? Um, and that's really frustrating. You know, you just want to slap Davidson. It's like just because someone's different from you doesn't mean that they're any more or less than you. And, th- and that's the frustrating thing because we know dreams can be therapeutic. The dreams can work out your your issues. And uh, again, like this community that dreams together, they're working together uh, on that communicative level where that Davison doesn't understand. Yeah, and um, it is because of Selver's ability to essentially enter you know, this dream time in a way that apparently is different, um, or more elevated, he becomes like a God, um, you know, to his people and vice versa. The only other reference to a God was, um, was Raj. So I thought that was an interesting comparison. Um, and by the end, you know, as Selver standing over Davidson, you know, he sort of, he doesn't see Selver as a God, but Selver sees himself as a God over him. Right. Um, well, Silver now sees himself more more highly, or he he sees himself in a better light because it is more that self reflection. Like I wouldn't have never done this, um, but because I tried to overthrow Davison and take him out, like it gave him that false sense of power um, that he I'd like to assume he didn't have before because that wasn't introduced to him. That wasn't how he was raised. That's not what he knew. Um, but because of these violent acts from from Davison, now he he's more aware of this kind of behavior that's foreign to him. Yeah, and I think, I mean, let me know if this was your interpretation of it. He was very much humble with it and didn't see himself as like a permanent god, more of like this was something bestowed upon him, a, a role of leadership and people followed him. But after he had kind of done what he needed to do, he very much, I don't know if he got rid of it, but like, you know, I think that was his intention to not see himself as a god as soon as all of it was done and dusted. Was that your reading of it? Yeah. And also, I mean, I I think I remember, remember from the description is that Silver and Raj were like the same physical kind of size. So it's not like, you know it's the difference between like a six foot five 300 pound bouncer compared to like a small 120 year old little little guy you know this is not like there's a physical difference where it's it establishes physical dominance in that sense and so that fact that like silver physically hasn't changed it's his sense of self that changed um and i think it it was his actions that like some someone has to do something about Davison or else like if I don't step up, no, no who's going to like no one's going to so it might as well be me, and yeah. that is what I appreciated with Silver's character that like he's the person that <laughs> us as the readers were all like yeah do something someone has to stop him because he understands what's right and what's wrong, but he actually has the initiative to do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, not that Raj just being kind of a more Indian descent was going to ever be the white savior, but quite literally, even if he was white, 
he wasn't the savior. It was Selver, which is a big differentiation from most sort of colonization movies, right? Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, would you like? And it's interesting that how this is. It, it's not like a subversion of the trope. It's she very much, you know, kind of fashioned it right before most, most at least the stories that i'm familiar with like let's say dances with wolves avatar mm-hmm. certainly has that problem and you know all that but i just wanted to get your opinion on that aspect of it well i think it's good i mean i mean good in a way that it's like it's not the the entire the whole white savior it's more of just the person at this point it doesn't i don't think it really matters about the physical appearance it's a matter of of, of the the character the sense of character and who's who is going to step up and who, who's not and like who has better values um and who has the drive and motivation to do something granted silver um yes he was angry was that the best way to go about <laughs> um for retribution probably not but i mean hell hath no fury like a man scorned but uh, I, I think it's um, it's not about the physical appearance anymore. It's about the just the character. Yeah. What did you, um, an interesting part was at a certain point, you know, before Raj's demise, if you will, he very much thought of himself as a traitor to his own kind. Um, do you think that was a fair assessment for him or... Or he was just actually doing the moral thing in the best way that he could. Yeah, I can understand where he thinks traitors because unlike Selver, he didn't actually do like a big grandiose situation, um, like a act to dispel his his enemy. Um, but I think it I think he, he felt guilt because maybe his actions were too passive <laughs> compared to what Silver did. Um, but I think he appreciates the fact that he showed um he showed some mercy. Yeah. And maybe he saw it within himself, maybe that being too passive and maybe too weak compared to what Silver did, because what Davison is cruel, so maybe he had to do like more um substantial kind of act to take out Davison. But because his act was like, no, let's just exile him. Maybe he thought that wasn't enough. Maybe he did deserve death. But that again, that's not within Raj's character either. Yeah. Yeah, it's um and it's interesting because how the book ends overall is with Selver giving the research away to the humans. You know, he essentially saved the research that Raj had created. Um now, you know, whether the Obviously, the research, that's that's the bittersweet ending, is the research no longer applies because violence has been introduced to this species, and therefore, you know, you can't put it back in the bottle. But it's a way of allowing Raj, Raj's legacy to uh, uphold, and hopefully, you know, may, I think Selver is optimistic that perhaps they can return to that way of life after some amount of time i don't you know like the idea time heals all wounds sort of a thing and it's like get the humans out of here and maybe and that was the thing like the idea of um they always thought ahead i forget the number it was either five generations or seven generations ahead um like that's the timeline which you needed to think 
and yeah, it's it's wild, but I think it's a very, I, I think it's a great way to look at stuff because it it really helps shape of like, is what I'm doing a good thing or not? How will it affect seven generations from now? That's a very profound thing. Right. And I mean, but it's also very sad and true because, you know, generations live a long time. And now that such big violent acts happen now, it's going to take years to get that out of the system. What would that be? 300 years? Yeah, probably around 300 because people in 300 years then won't be uh, alive anymore. Or like people now won't be alive in 300 years from the, then. Um, so, and I think it's really sad because that it took a less amount of time to introduce violence and it takes more time to take it away. Um, yeah. And for it to just kind of phase out with the people and phase out with the time and culture, time passes slower than, than the actions that happen. Um, but I think once you remove yourself far a long time and far enough away from it, I, these people do have a chance to fully heal. Um, they do. Granted, but it, it might it's... not be in their time, but it, yeah. there, there's the possibilities they can get back to what they used to be before the colonists came in. Yeah. It just reminds me of, you know, uh, the typical comedy trope uh, at like a factory. They have like, you know, um, 482 days without an accident. And then an accident happens and like the guy. So it just feels like very much like that sort of aspect of it where it's almost a near impossible task. Like at any point, you know, if we're talking about this seven generations and I'll just use 300 again, I don't know if that's fully correct or not, but, you know, seems certainly a long time. So 300 years, right? Um, Yeah. So within that time. Sorry, I have the line. Yeah, oh. not for five generations, then perhaps a few men, 10 and 20, no more than 20 might come back to talk to your people. Five generations. Yeah. So, yeah, five generations. Either way, like it just feels like at any point during that time, if like there's a quote unquote accident, you know, it's like back to back to one. <laughs> yeah, restart. Yeah. Reset. So it's uh, yeah, it's a very uphill battle for sure. Yeah, and the sad thing is, is that Davison was just one person. Who's to say there aren't more people that could be like him or could do something as heinous of what he did eventually? Um, not that they did it now, but like, who's to say? Or like, maybe a woman could, you know, cause violence. We don't know. Um, but it, it's it's really sad to think that one person created such so much destruction. Who's to say more people couldn't do that? You get yeah. Davison out, someone else could step up. Yeah, and you know, for her, it was very much a reflection of the um, the Vietnam War, right? That's what she was kind of responding to when she wrote this. And certainly, you know, e- even in our own world, like take a look at today, it's like there's there seems to be an endless supply of heinous people with heinous actions, right? So mm-hmm. that's the unfortunate truth. And um, but. Tying it to more of the Vietnam War, I want to get your perspective on this. It seems interesting. um, Part of the whole narrative, you know, communication between the world uh, here and and Earth, there's like a 20-year disconnect, or 27, right, give or take. And so a lot can happen within that time. And 
I, I look at like, you know, any sort of war, but we'll just stick with Vietnam War. Like, you know, as an American audience, you're, you're being fed this news and the tragedy, but you're not seeing it in real time and you don't know how to react to it. Um, and so, you know, in that same way, it's like you essentially have no recourse over what actually happened. So here's Davidson just willy nilly can do whatever he wants for essentially 27 years. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know exactly how to like solidify what the thought is. I just found it interesting of that sort of disconnect. And I, it was a parallel to me, if anything, but. I honestly, I like that because when, you know, like you said, cause we don't know it, like the time delay of 27 years is crazy. Cause just in real time for us um, on earth, it's like we had the Vietnam war 27 years after that, like how many wars were after that, you know? And um so to have a 27 year lapse, who knows if someone didn't stop Davidson now, who knows what he could have done within 27 years. He could have just been so ruthless and even worse, but because they, they stopped the, the delay and they had it at real time, they're like, no, we got to do something now. Um, I like that because it also shows, I mean, there, there's the, that level of um, the science fiction, like, yes, we were dealing with like two kind of timelines here. But when you take that away, it's like, no, all the violence is happening now. If we don't stop it, we're going to still have violence in 27 years. And um, I like that, that that was their their action um, that like just take away um, yeah, that and, time, you know. Yeah. And they, um, you know, part of part of it is they did midway through, let's say, get that machine that communicated more real in real time. And then, of course, that got destroyed um as well but um but yeah it, it just i think as far as what i've seen about this um you know critiques and uh deep dives i've yet to see kind of the communication aspect of it which i think it plays a huge huge role right and you know even by the end all davidson can do is radio with you know headquarters but it's not like there's a recourse like they're like hey please essentially stop doing what you're doing and he's like no and it's like what are you gonna do <laughs> you can tell him to right. stop but there's no recourse yeah it's like someone telling someone over the phone like hey you should stop this or send an email they like hey you should stop this and you could just ignore it <laughs> like you're 27 years from now what are you what are you gonna do so and and i think that's why uh Selver st- stepped up because he's like no i'm gonna do something about it because he he's not listening to his authorities, um, so I'm going to take it into my hands and do something. Yeah. What did you think? I mean, what, one of the interesting aspects of this is you don't get very much the military action side of it. Um, you know, it's just kind of more matter of fact and and everyone's reaction to it. But it was intriguing to me how Davidson essentially was just destroying everything around him. You know, let's say like a. a you know, they made a note of like a four kilometer radius, which was like their walking distance. They destroyed everything. And you're kind of looking at that and it's like, okay, this is, this is very sad. And then I don't know if it was like Selver playing possum because Davidson, you know, his mentality was like, oh, see, I'm big and bad. And then all of a sudden, right after that's when their camp essentially got wiped out. Yeah, I mean that's it. That's exactly it. It's like the more you destroy, the more power Davison 
got a hold of him. And it started with a, I mean, three kilometers that, that is like what, two and a half miles. I don't know. Um, that's still a pretty wide range. And if he kept, if he kept going for 27 years, he, he would have destroyed the entire planet. Um, and so, and I, I think it's just, it's just that, that ripple effect, you know, um, he starts small and then he eventually is going to get bigger. Um, uh, so I, I, I think it just shows that, yes, he, he has this small sense of destruction. If we don't stop him now, it's just going to get bigger. It's going to get worse. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I also, again, I think it was, I don't know. I, I, I'd I like to kind of sort of look at it like it was a strategic aspect of, all right, we'll give him a few false victories. Like it, It's one of those, like, you may have won the battle, but you're not going to win the war. And so I mm-hmm. think, you know, as you're talking about, davidson's power it's a false sense right it, it, it lures you into this aspect of like i'm almighty and all of a sudden you think you're big and bad and nothing can get at you boom here you go everything everything is now destroyed um so and what did you okay so a big aspect of this is they kept them alive um yeah. what, what were your thoughts on that because that was a uh, very much like hey well, it, it was interesting because it was an exchange of "quote unquote" gifts. You know, you gave us the gift of murder; we're giving you the gift of not killing <laughs> life. Yeah, right. Um, I thought that. I mean, it, it is just such the clear distinction between these two communities, and then it just it made me sad for just humans in general because we are capable of violence and murder, and yet we, they, or more so. Um, they encountered another community that is too nice. They're like, well, we're going to exile you, but we're going to keep you alive and still give you food. But you're basically going to be on this barren land by yourself. Like that in and of itself is punishment. That, But because I, I think it was that they're themselves proving that we're not like you. Because if we were like you, we just kill you right now on the spot and be done with you. But because... We're not like you. We're going to give you the gift of mercy and life. Um, the best that we can do is just let you uh, live by live by exile. And too nice of the Athenians, <laughs> but I have to appreciate that they they had to stop the violence. They they had yeah. to end that cycle. Yeah, and hopefully, as we talk, you know, we talked about the uh, five generation healing. Maybe this you know kickstarts that. Um, for me. This book just reaffirms the idea that like I will just scream every day um, in this world, in this day and age, we could all literally live in a utopia, but every day we actively choose not to. And you cannot convince me otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, that's a very, very idealistic way to think about it. But yeah, it's just because if we're anything, it's a cynical still... way because I'm like, it's I just know. like, what the hell? We could end world hunger. Everyone could like have free time and you know still have earn money and still contribute but without like digging themselves into the grave and we could see our families and friends and this but we actively choose not to i know and as great as that would be that people love power people love money what keeps the world going around power money food and some people have more some people have less and that Therein lies the imbalance and disconnect of the world. And that's why 
a lot of people think they're better than others because we have better resources or more resources. You know, there, there's always going to be an imbalance of the world. Therefore, there's never going to be a utopia, as unfortunate as it is. But that's that's the world we live in. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna live with the Ashians. Yeah, you know, get me over there. I am. I right. come in peace, and I I will stay in peace. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think we we'd all want it, or. Well, hmm, they, we could learn something from the Athians. That's like go over there, work with them for a bit. Like it's kind of like the monks, <laughs> you know, the the p- peaceful. They're they're happy. They meditate. They they live their lives, and then you know you can learn a lot from them. Well, that's, you don't uh, need violence. And not that you know this is like a Taoist text, but you can definitely sense the Taoist undertones. And I don't know how much you're familiar with it, but I've I, I love. It's not, a, I mean, it's a philosophy, but um, in that sort of same way, it's not just like, it, it, it tells you how to live, right? And be in balance and so forth. And I think if anything, the bastardization of like the self-help movement is like, it, it just empowers narcissists and ego to be like, well, I'm just putting up boundaries. It's like the true goal of self-help is so you can then help others, you know, heal yourself to heal the world, not so you can be a heinous asshole to everyone and be like, oh, I'm just speaking my-. like, no, F you. Um, so I don't know, you know, I, yeah. I have a fondness for this book because while it, it, it dives into various tropes that we've seen, um, it's night and day, even if you want to compare it to Avatar, like it has a lot of themes, you know, we can go over like the idea that trees communicate um and stuff like that but like the the whole ending is wildly different which i guess we should talk about the word for world is forest we we get an answer of why that is but um Mm -hmm. but let's dive into it like what did you think of you know that yeah so i I put that in my notes um i think it 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 shows that that these athians they um like their language is so different. Their their world and the communication is is about the actual world and how they how they nurture and um and take care of the their surroundings and environments. And then when uh uh the the colonists come in, like our world for forests is is something temporary. Yes, it's it's a thing, um, but we can tear down forests, we can destroy forests, you know. Um it's just there's two there is two different meanings to the the word of forest for them and i think that distinctly showed the difference um yeah. one we one community saw it as you know something spiritual and something um resourceful and others saw it as destruction yeah and um i'm going to i don't have it exactly but it just came to mind there's a dallas principle where there's someone complaining about like this stupid tree, like, you know, um, it's just in the way it doesn't do anything, blah, blah. And the, the Taoist master essentially says like, well, have you considered it for shade? Like it's this big tree, it's old. And it's like, it provides Mm -hmm. so much shade and whatever, because, you know, um, the original person complaining, they just were thinking about it in terms of, all right, how do I cut it down for paper or lumber or whatever it may be. So they were trying to fit it to their needs as opposed to seeing it like, no, it's a beautiful thing. And in its own right, if you look at it, it provides so much. You just got to open your eyes. Um, again, I'm, that's yeah. very badly paraphrased in terms of what the principle is. But uh, 
No, but it's there. It's like you have the optimist and the pessimist (laughs) or like the the two different ways of how someone looks at something like the half, half full, half empty, this tree provides resource and shade and another provides paper. And, you know, so it's just how two completely different people see this, see one same thing. And I wouldn't even call it like an optimist versus that. Like, I think that's a fair interpretation, but I go more of like the Taoist is like the realist, which is funny Mm, because like, you know, um, in a lot of sense, you know, when you talk about Taoism, people, you know, sometimes, or just enlightened people in general, people kind of can turn them as silly or, um, you know, too um, optimistic and not like grounded in reality. And it's like, no, no, no they're actually more grounded in reality than you can ever even begin to imagine. You know, I think that's the, mm-hmm. and I think the, this book echoes that sort of sentiment, you know, certainly with dream time and world time and all that. It's like, you know, you think it's all silly. It's actually deep. Like what we know is far more than you could even begin to imagine. Right. You know? And I think that's what this book does so well. It's just two completely different opinions of how people live their life and how people use their environment and what they do and their behaviors. Um, and not to say one is right or wrong, but it's just the, the conflicting idea of what they are at the end of the day. Um, therein lies the disconnect between these communities. Yeah. Well, as we wrap this out, um, I do want to point out this was a very successful work. It was part of an anthology at first in 1972 and then um, published as a standalone in 1976. Um, as I said, it is part of the Hainish um, cycle. Um, so there's a, a lot, uh, various other books as part of that that enrich the lore of it all. And, you know, they're standalone books overall. Um, but again, you can kind of get into it. Um, and yeah, just, uh, an amazing writer, um, that, that is just so incredible. Um, uh, if you want a nice entry point, and I sent, sent this to Marissa, the ones who walk away from Omelas, it's a like five page short story, um, that was my introduction to Ursula K. Le Guin and, and it's absolutely phenomenal. But, um, any final thoughts before we start to wrap this out? Yeah, I appreciate this book because, yes, it was written decades ago, but it's still relevant now. And it I think it's a good cautionary tale to those are just because you don't have the same viewpoint doesn't mean you can't work together Um, or you should be able to learn how to work together and live and coexist with each other before it escalates to violence. Um, And I think a lot of people now need to read this book. Yeah. And and that was the key difference between Davidson and and Raj. Raj looked for the similarities. Davidson saw only the differences. The differences. And yeah. yes, so long as there's colonization, war, <laughs> hate, and anger, this book will forever be relevant. Um, and one hopes that it will be an artifact of the past of like, people did this? <laughs> yeah, people um, are still doing this. Oh, very much. I mean, listen, again, there is no shortage. We could go, you know, whether um, um, Iran or uh, Ukraine and uh, just just the list goes on and on of atrocities. You know, Brazil had their own. Yeah. Anyway, 
and we don't need to uh history it's... repeats itself yes indeed well um to try to bring up some optimism the next book <laughs> that we're reading is they both die at the end what a yeah. happy title it is <laughs> yeah i mean it's a it's a happy title but uh, um, i already read it it's great i really enjoyed it i like destroyed this book in like four hours um on a plane ride um it's easy to read you you had the perspective of two main guys trying to just live the best the day they can together before they die um and it's it's very heartwarming and it's, it's so easy to read and like i i thoroughly enjoyed it so it's it's lighter in the yes. sense of this book <laughs> yes well, in the I'll, sense I'll... that what we just read yeah i mean you know contemplating your own mortality uh, sure it's lighter <laughs> um but yes yeah, so that's what's coming up in february after that um as of now we have slated the world we make by nk jemison um we mm-hmm. may we're trying to get more authors on so we may maybe do some additional stuff we might swap some stuff to you know based on schedules so you know all, all of our list is subject to change but um you know yeah. we love books we're going to continue reading books and each month we just strive to highlight certain books. And as I said, you know, let us know what you're reading, what you would love for us to discuss. Um, and yeah, you know, our goal is to make this bigger and better. So. Absolutely. And authors that we don't know, like Ursula K. Le Guin, I never heard of her. So I'm always open to reading new authors. Yeah. So, and for me, you know, Adam Silvera, I knew, I, 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 I not read him. So look forward to that. But anyway, uh, connect with us at Serafini TV um, on her social media. I'm at Phil Svitek. Thank you as always. We appreciate you, and we will uh, both not die at the end of doing next month's discussion. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> <laughs>